This episode of Energy Sense is brought to you by our Financial and Capital Markets Energy Advisory Group, part of S&P Global Commodity Insights. Our team of experts provides the investment community with actionable insight and integrated thought leadership that identify the trends and trend makers of global energy markets. Solutions cover the full energy and natural resources sector, from traditional fossil fuels to emerging clean tech ideas and supply chains, and are available via recurring reports, webinars, robust data sets, and personalized engagements with experts. All right, welcome back to Energy Sense, an S&P Global podcast covering all things on the intersection of energy and finance. This is Hill Baden, your host, and I'm here today with Sam Wilkinson and George Hilton to discuss batteries. Sam and George are both repeat offenders, so, so thank you both for, for coming back this year. You're welcome, uh, Hill. Thank you very much for having me. Cheers, Hill. And, uh, yeah, and I, I was reviewing some of the, the, the podcasts that we did in the past, and, and Sam, this is purely coincidental, but, but February of last year was the last time we did a podcast together. So, so this is the one-year mark, and, and I began describing you and, and Alex, who was the other guest, as the cool kids because you guys were so hard to pin down. And once again, you, you guys are perhaps more cool this year, cooler this year, both of you, because this is, I think, the third or fourth calendar invite that, that you guys have had to push back because you're so busy, as school kids typically are. So either that or your timing is terrible. One of the two. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to go with cool kids. All right. So, so batteries, speaking of cool kids, batteries are kind of the cool kids in the energy industry right now. And I'm kind of fascinated or curious by how to be thinking about batteries. Batteries are often talked about as almost this cure-all, whether that be transportation, whether that be electricity, reliance, reliability, as we move to a lower carbon, lower emission world. With that, batteries rely on metals that, that need to be mined, and so there's a there's environmental impact to the production of batteries. There is a very much dominance within China on battery production and, and metals and whatever else, but perhaps create some energy security challenges. And I want to get into those things, but I want to start on the business models. So, so batteries, people seem to be looking at service stations or gasoline as the anecdote or the analog for batteries and for charging cars. And, and we, we spoke before we hit record about battery swapping. And this was something that came up on a podcast last year as well, that rather than focusing on charging batteries for electric vehicles, focus on swapping them out. And the analog, at least in the US, is propane tanks, right? That that you have a grill with a propane tank. You don't go and plug in your propane tank and refill it. You go to the grocery store, you swap out a propane tank. It takes 10 minutes. It's real easy. Why not do the same thing with cars? So with that large introduction, Sam, I'm going to start with you. Can Can we talk? I guess one, describe the battery swapping concept in more detail than I did and and help to kind of anchor us on where that's working, where it's not working and who's leading it. Sure. Well, first of all, let me say this is a pretty early stage at the minute concept with a small number of companies kind of championing championing this as as a solution. And in terms of describing it, I think it's useful to think about it from the consumer's point of view, right? What are the main reasons or the main objections against electric vehicles today? 
you've got the idea of range anxiety that you can only travel a certain distance before you have to sit stationary for hours charging your vehicle you've got the high upfront cost because batteries mm-hmm. are expensive today so they are more expensive upfront than a like for like combustion engine vehicle and you've also got a lot of sort of unanswered questions i guess from the more sort of savvy consumers about residual value of the vehicle right batteries do degrade you will get to a point where the battery is is no longer useful it doesn't store enough capacity to to make it valuable and what's that car now worth like is it like your iphone where effectively once the battery's dead you're gonna scrap it aren't you or does it still is it still worth something right and battery swapping kind of just hits the nail on the head in terms of conquering each of those objections objections you know if 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 it manages to scale up and become a viable solution with all the infrastructure in place now once you've driven for whatever it is several hundred miles and you're you're running low on charge you're going to stop you someone's going to very quickly remove your battery and replace it with a full one uh, a fully charged one and you're good to go again in a matter of minutes the residual value question and the upfront upfront cost of the car is also solved to a certain extent mm-hmm. because you don't buy the battery you buy the car without the battery and then you pay a subscription to to have access to these bat these charging stations or i guess swapping stations we we call them now so you don't have that concern over buying a battery that's going to be worth nothing and actually impact negatively on the value of your car years from now so it solves that problem as well and the other sort of thing as well is this idea of fixed cost motoring it's pretty much the only solution i can think of where you have a a fixed cost so most companies that are doing this will be charging you a certain amount per month there might be a limit on the number of swaps i'm not sure but now you've got a a fixed cost no surprises and that's what it's going to cost you to drive around in your car every month for the foreseeable future and that's quite attractive to a number of people as well so that's why why it's working in terms of where it's the main people doing it right now are in china but it really is okay. one one manufacturer of electric vehicles called neo they're trying to come out to europe and are gaining some traction and then there's some other pilots and things happening elsewhere in the world as well conceptually i love this idea it seems so obvious once you hear for the first or at least once i heard it for the first time george as where it maybe falls down it is if, if my car like i don't know how to install a battery in a car in in terms of an electric vehicle it is do we need to think about battery swapping working within a particular fleet where batteries are easy to move in and out or, or am i overcomplicating the process yeah i think it's uh it's a great question like the technical how does the battery move in and out and how does that affect the way that you use the battery and the kind of people who use the car sorry and the kind of people who buy it it's great and i think it hits at like the core of perhaps some of the reasons why battery swapping might not be the big answer that some people think it is. So technically, I think it's quite complicated. You can, Neo, the company that uh, Sam was mentioning, have some great videos of a car that drives into like a garage and then there's this huge kind of thing that moves underneath it. 
comes up into the car all kinds of whizzes and sounds and bangs and pops happen and the battery drops out the bottom moves to the side and another one gets put in it all mm-hmm. happens within 90 seconds or so and it's very automated and very efficient but i can't imagine that that piece of infrastructure comes very cheap right right it must be incredibly expensive to have those and also incredibly difficult to maintain and to design in the first place and so that kind of necessitates a centralized approach to the infrastructure i think and i think that's why it's worked so well in china because there's more kind of capital available to roll out a centralized approach in the west we've had more had difficulty rolling out charging infrastructure which is much cheaper and much easier to install and so and so yeah if if fleets could be developed that have that kind of critical mass they're in a certain location and they can kind of justify the investment in that battery swapping infrastructure that could be a really good way to to get to the point where battery swapping makes sense outside of china i think and in the neo example sorry sorry sam just one second on the neo example does neo own the battery and the car and therefore only neo batteries fit into neo cars or could i pull in with a ford and have that process yeah that's the big challenge right so you need if you drive a neo car the only battery that you can swap in and out is a neo battery and you're going to need a neo swapping station to do it and that's why they have such a big challenge ahead of them like trying to get into the european markets because they're effectively having to build the swapping infrastructure before they can sell a single car um, which they have now done but it does it's sort of obvious that that requires a big capital investment and a big gamble up front before you mm-hmm. move forward and on a kind of relative cost basis if i'm comparing some of the the, the uh, i guess construction that, that george just described versus the, the making a battery last longer the the, the duration but has any work been done on the investment because that's the other challenge right you, you could solve this problem also by just allowing the batteries to get you from jacksonville to san francisco or sorry los angeles on i-10 but batteries won't last that long so so is is my if, if i'm investing in two different ideas is there any thoughts on which one or are they kind of racing right now for, for what's the better idea both are happening and just to be sort of clear on the terminology that there's a few different when we talk about like duration of a battery, we, we can mean a lot of different things, right? How long does the battery last? Oh, sorry, how many miles can you drive on the on the battery? And that's the capacity. The challenge, the sort of technical challenge there is the fact that in a car, you've got a certain amount of weight and space to play with, and you therefore need to make the battery what's called as energy dense as possible. So there's a huge sort of technical challenge in raising energy density. The other thing you've got is the lifetime of the battery how long is it going to be before that battery is useless Um, and the technical challenge there is balancing that with the speed that you charge it if you charge a battery really really slowly the lifetime will be very very long but clearly that's not something you want to do like so there's a there's a sort of a a balance going on between people trying to trying to develop fast charging technology and not compromise the lifetime of the battery or trying to extend the lifetime of the battery without compromising the, the charging speed. So there's a every with batteries, it's like whenever you improve one parameter, you're always like 
balancing that with the other parameters. And that's the, the big challenge. So, but to, to, to directly answer your question, I think there's probably still today more investment in bettering battery technology than there is in rolling out swapping business models. Or are they addressing the density issue? I mean, because the other problem is heavier batteries last longer, but heavier batter, heavier batteries can, can result in longer duration, but they're heavier and require more energy to move the car. Uh, yeah, there's a huge amount of investment going into improving what we call energy density. So that's basically with the space and the weight that you've got to play with in a car, like cramming as many what we call kilowatt hours of storage capacity into that. And the more kilowatt hours of electricity you've got stored on board, the further you can drive before you run out of charge. So and you mentioned in terms of fast charging, that a fast charging of batteries is going to deteriorate the life of the battery more quickly than otherwise. And George, I know you've recently done some work on battery recycling. How 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 does that relate to these different ideas and, and our who owns that battery recycling process? Is that something that the consumer, when he or she buys the car, can expect to recycle a battery and get more use out of? Or is there, what's the business model behind that? Yeah, it's a good question. I think uh, battery, battery recycling is kind of a good news portion of the battery raw material space that we don't necessarily get too often with lots of focus on metal mines in parts of China and Africa that don't that aren't so uh, positively spoken about let's say whereas battery recycling is much more positive I think mm -hmm. the good news is that lithium batteries at the end of their life are going to be very widely recycled the materials that go into them are going to become available again probably at a higher quality than the first time around because they've gone through a second refining process and metal prices particularly lithium prices lately are such that that whole process can be done profitably going forwards and so we we've started to see a real rapid growth of battery recycling facilities across the us and across europe driven by startups mainly actually but the investment in those startups has come from some very big players, both from the mining sector and uh, established OEMs. So it's clear, I think, that there's quite a growing growing interest and growing kind of level of seriousness in developing around the battery recycling industry that will be able to, to address raw material concerns as we move forward, I think. Where would be the aftermarket for if I take my now dead battery to, to be recycled, am I then buying a recycled battery that someone else is that? Do I, is a recycled battery just as good or you tear the whole thing down from parts and can you describe a little bit more how this would work from a business yeah. perspective? Yeah, sure. So the logistics is super hard actually for these batteries because they're so big and mm -hmm. heavy. It's not like the lead acid battery in your car at the moment you could just pull out and walk to a walk with it somewhere like there's going to be specific machinery developed to extract the batteries and dismantle them and all of those things in a safe way without igniting them the process itself i mean it, it varies but to kind of summarize it the battery's shredded huge shredding facilities 
that take it and the entire battery put it into basically powder you can immediately extract copper and aluminium from that process and then you're left with something called black mass and it's that black mass and black mass just looks kind of like black powder basically it's got all the active parts of the battery in it and all the expensive metals as well that black mass can actually be traded between companies and moved between companies and that's where the more complicated chemistry comes in to extract lithium cobalt nickel etc in a way that it could be used again in new batteries so uh, so it's used so a new bad that the idea then is that a new battery includes recycled battery parts and there's not like a recycled battery versus new battery versus decision yeah yeah exactly so you might okay. I mean, as a consumer, you are unlikely to ever know the content or be able to make decisions around that. It's more likely that you're the battery manufacturer that provided the cells to the OEM that makes your car has bought a blended stream of lithium carbonate, of which, you know, maybe 20% is recycled, 80% is virgin. That's been used to make the cathodes, et cetera. So it's more likely that there'll be a blend of materials within a brand new battery, some of which and, recycled, yeah. And does that re then reduce the demand, presumably on new materials that need to be mined? And, and is that, if I'm creating a new battery that includes recycled battery within it, does that reduce the demand from say 100% new metals to 50%, 20%, 10%? How, how, how much can be used? Yeah, absolutely. And the numbers here are quite quite big, actually. So if we look forward to like 2050 or so, we get to a point where around 50% of overall battery material demand can be met through recycled materials, which clearly ha that's an upper limit. We may not get there. You would need a lot of things would need to happen between now and then to get anywhere close to that. But the potential is huge from recycling. I think one thing he'll like to, to point out here is there's a sort of geopolitical play mm -hmm. here, right? Um, you might have heard the little piece of legislation called the IRA, right? Where, um, yes. and a lot of the that policy is rooted in trying to strengthen the US's domestic production of critical components for, for the energy transition. I think that's the most concise way I can put it. And recycling is specifically called out there. You know, there is, the truth is when it comes to battery materials, in some cases you've either got the material or you haven't got the material, right? If it's in the ground, great. If not, you, you know, you've got a problem. You can't solve that. But recycling is seen as a way of doing that. Recycling is, I mean, we're still waiting on certain clarifications, but it's mentioned in the document as an alternative. So if you're looking to qualify for the domestic content pieces, whether it's the EV subsidy or the energy storage ITC, if the material is recycled in the US, then that qualifies, right? Regardless okay. of whether it originally came from, I don't know, potentially Indonesia and then refined in China and then eventually shipped into the US as a final bat as a finished battery. If it gets broken down in the US and recycled into the raw what we call the secondary raw materials, that 
those secondary raw materials will qualify for the domestic content subsidies that are included in the IRA. And where are the hotspots for battery recycling globally? Are, are there any in the US? Yeah, most of the companies that, well, most of the startup companies um, that are looking at this outside of China. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost, you could almost take it for granted that anything to do with batteries, the hotspot is in China. <laughs> so yeah. outside, and that stands for recycling as well, like 80% of global capacity is in China. But outside of that, the US is actually quite strong. Lots of the most innovative startup companies are coming out of China. The ex CTO of Tesla started a battery recycling company. And that's just one of a, a kind of cohort of battery recycling startups based out of the US. So yeah, the, it's it's a good news story, I think, both in terms of the companies that are doing it and also in terms of the root of the raw materials, I think. Okay. And how about differentiation? I mean, that that's there's a lot of comparison to batteries as commodities and it's it's kind of odd in some ways to think about because there's so much technology going into batteries where there seems to be a lot of focus on differentiation at say the automobile level with with less on the the, the battery itself are we seeing i guess barriers to entry on some of the differentiation with these companies who are working on batteries the the neo is obviously an example if if that hub and spoke system kind of works the, the way you described it are you seeing recycling or battery manufacturing concepts that decommoditize the eventual life of a battery business? Either one of you? Very difficult question, Hill. I, I, I totally agree with you. Ba- batteries are effectively a commodity. And the reason I agree with that is because it's effectively a pretty low margin business at the actual battery manufacturing piece. Right now, the raw material suppliers are making a very nice margin because of the very tight supply of raw materials. Technology progress is like incremental. We don't necessarily see any kind of major breakthroughs and we definitely don't really see a major breakthrough that's going to like that one like EV manufacturer way ahead of, of another one, right? So and that everything about that is commodity by definition. Um, what I think is important though is, and we sort of got at this a little bit on the call when we talked about battery swapping, but you know, but the thing is you've got a battery, you sell a battery and it does whatever it does for, for 10 years. There's so many amazingly complex, fascinating, rich opportunities for what you can do with a battery during its lifetime. Just powering a car is actually really quite boring, right? You charge it up, you drive, you charge it up, you drive, you charge it up, you drive. Batteries are doing incredible things and making huge money in the grid right now, doing really quite complex business models. You throw in things like your battery swapping, and then you start thinking about what you can do with it all at the same time. How do you use your battery in your car to actually earn money from helping to balance the grid? How do you do the battery swapping thing? But now you've got a big bank of batteries that you're charging up, like ready for someone to come and, and use. Can you use those batteries whilst they're like sat there waiting to charge mm-hmm. to generate even more income, right? And become an asset for the grid. Utilities are increasing or, or grid operators or whoever it is, depending on where you are in the world, will increasingly pay a lot of money for the services that batteries can provide because we're heading into a world with a lot more intermittent renewables, so solar and wind, which you don't necessarily have complete control over when they'll generate. 
and you need more and more of the flexibility that storage like batteries can provide so the services that batteries do where the, where batteries make their money more and more in demand more and more of it is required they're paying more and more money for it and so the the far more interesting thing is this batteries are a commodity what can we do with them and how do we combine the different applications and that's where i think things get really interesting okay well, I want to be sensitive of y'all's time, one, because I know it's late in the UK, two, because I know you guys are super busy. So I'll, I'll ask you both the same question to, 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 to finish. But if next six months or so, what should we, we be watching w- without answering the IRA or Inflation Reduction Act? That, that Is there any notable company or any notable idea that we should be watching as a concept in the battery business model evolution? that they could be a signpost of things to come. George, I'll start with you. Yeah, I can go first. I mean, narrow this list down to like one. Right? That's the challenge yeah. of answering this question. I'll stick on the topic around the battery swapping. I think the the company NEO is super interesting and, and it's worked really well in China on battery swapping. But I think Sam mentioned they're trying to expand into Europe. We've never really had a successful automaker, Chinese automaker, break out from China. And this could be the first time that happens. And if that does, the kind of Chinese dominance around batteries would have spread into potential Chinese dominance in another industry as well. And that could be super interesting to watch and see how that plays out. So that's that's my boiled down to one. <laughs> All right, and you say a difficult question. Europe, Europe's a big place. Is China looking at one particular country or, or looking at continental Europe versus the UK? Or So I think it started in Norway because Norway has 80 or 90 percent EV sales at the moment. Oh, wow. um, and so I think it started there just because they've got that critical mass, but I know the ambition is to roll out for the rest of Europe. Okay, Sam, uh, it's a little unfair that George took your Neo example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, Sam. <laughs> well, no, I'm going to go a little bit broad and, and I'm not going to play especially safe yet. I know you also said I wasn't allowed to mention the IRA, but there is, um, <laughs> there is let's say, uh, a strong belief amongst many in the industry, many in our company, that there is this sort of super strong will to to cut, not cut ties, but reduce reliance on China. And I guess the the bit that I'm watching, because I'm I'm not totally convinced that this plays out in a black and white way, is how some of the big Western companies that actually depend on China for a huge amount of their demand are going to play here, right? Because this this does. This is heavily ingrained in batteries, but it's a, it's bigger than just even the automotive industry or the energy industry. Because I remember having a weeks of conversations after the IRA where we were talking about the, what's this going to do for the sort of geopolitics and trade and so on, right? Then BMW, like they have a big factory near us where they make all their electric minis right here in the UK that shut the factory, moved it to China. Because guess what? BMW sells a ton of vehicles in China and it wants to be very careful about where it balances on that geopolitical fight because China's very clearly responded in ways in the past to cut international companies out of its market in a, in a political retaliation. Tesla, for example, Tesla sells a huge amount of vehicles in China, relies 
focus upon China for low cost manufacturing. So I don't know, there's a bit of me that feels like there's some very, very big boys out there in the energy and auto world that have a very sensitive position in this in this current geopolitical situation that we find ourselves in. And, uh, and I'm super curious to see what weight they've got in, in how this plays out. All right, we'll accept that. It's a, a few shades of gray from George's answer. But we'll, we'll, we'll watch China and its relation to wet Western markets and batteries here. And we made it almost, what, 40 minutes or something with only mentioning Tesla once in the final 30 seconds. So kudos to all of us. Damn, we didn't make it all the way through. Maybe next time. So. <laughs> Maybe next time. Well, thank you, George, Sam, that this has been fun. Hope to try again as y'all schedules a live for an update. Thank you very much, y'all. It's fun as always. This podcast contains insights and data copyrighted by S&P Global. To learn more about our solutions or read additional market research, visit us at spglobal.com.